You're listening to Radio Influence. Back in the house again, DJ Eakin, man, Southern Hospitality. And, and you know every week before we start this show, I, I try to think of like a, a cool, snazzy name for this week's episode. And I got it because this week's guest is – how do I describe him before I introduce him? He just said that he was like a big pile of shit. I like to think of him as this dude is like the ultimate hip-hop historian slash nowadays – He's in this tech space. We just we just got so much to talk about today. My man, Eric Mendelson, um, this episode we're going to call This Is Why I'm Hot. That I, I like that name. I like that one. <laughs> that, that must have took you all week to figure that one out. Huh? <laughs> no, nah, actually, you know, it's funny, man. We, when I first asked you about being on, on, on the show. I was all I was all like, yo, what do I what do I call this? What was his name going to be? And then just now when you pop up on the screen and I'm looking at you, I'm like, let's just keep it simple. He'll he'll love this right here. <laughs> How you oh, doing, yeah. man? I'm definitely I'm definitely not sick of that song at this point in my life. Yo, um let's before we even get started, let let's get a little bit of the history of and I, and I love your Instagram. It's Eric Answerman and and we'll get into that too. Let's get into a little bit of the history of the things you've done in this entertainment business. Wow. Um, I mean, I don't want to bore your, bore your audience, but I started off as an intern. Um, I'm going to date myself now, but I started off as an intern when I was in college in 1997, um, working uh, for Hot 97 in New York City, which at the time was the most influential, biggest radio station uh, for hip hop in the world. Right. Um, after that internship, I interned at Loud Records, um, which is home to some of the to this day, in my opinion, some of the most influential hip hop music artists again in the world. Uh, we're talking about Wu Tang, um, Big Pun, The Alcoholics, wow. um, Mob Deep. Um, I was doing Street Team, right? Uh, and I, I was like the only white kid doing Street Team too. Um, you know, going through places like Corona, Corona, New York City, um, gang territories, and all types of stuff, just promoting promoting these artists. Um, and then after after Loud Records. Um, I interned again at Interscope Records. So all throughout, um, all throughout my college um, life, um, I was taking the train from New Jersey into New York City, studying on the train, interning, which basically means working for free, right. but also learning and building relationships um, because the music industry is completely built on relationships. Um, senior year in college, I, again, I was interning at Interscope, um, which at the time was in my opinion the most powerful record label. Uh, this is this is when Eminem was just peaking and Dr. Dre and and artists like that were were, were coming out and this, this putting, is history happening right here. <laughs> putting out putting out classic music and I was interning in the radio promotion department. Um, for those who don't know what what the radio department at a record label does is they get records played on radio right. and it may seem pretty simple but Eakin, as you know it's a very competitive space. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of a lot of record companies vying for radio slot positions because there's only a limited amount of slots on commercial radio. And at the time, and, and quite frankly, maybe we'll get into this even today, getting radio airplay is still the most important marketing aspect in an artist's career to get popularized and to get known very quickly. Oh, we're going to get um, to that. All right. So it's, it's, so it's extremely competitive. Um, again, I was an intern at Interscope. And then I was graduating from Rutgers and I was applying to all these labels and uh, for like, you know, assistant positions and I wasn't getting any calls. And then one day, Electra Records, um, which is a division of Warner Music Group, 
um, called Interscope. And the reason they called Interscope is because Interscope had such a powerful radio department. Right. And they were like, are there any, are there any interns um, over there that are graduating that's really good that's, that, that they're looking to hire? And, uh, of course, in, Interscope recommended me. Now, what Electra didn't know at the time, and actually, quite frankly, what Interscope didn't know at the time, is that I had tried out to be a VJ on MTV, you know, a voice wow. jockey. Wow. K- kind of like what you do today, you get, but, I, <laughs> yeah. but, unlike, but, but unlike you, I sucked. Oh, right? come so on. I tried, so I tried out for this thing, but, but the girl there, like the casting director there, was like, you know, you kind of remind me of somebody. Um, would you want to participate in the MTV Awards? So I was like, are they paying? And she's like, yeah, it's like a hundred bucks a day or whatever. I'm like, yeah, whatever. She's like, well, I was like, well, what do you got to do? She's like, well, you got to dye your hair blonde. And I was like, this is in 2001. Eminem is, you know, up here in his career. And I'm like, am I going to be involved with this like Eminem MTV award performance? And she's like, well, I'm not supposed to say so, but yeah, you are. You're going to be one of the hundred lookalike. <laughs> so wait, Eminem. so you're one of those dudes that walked in when he was doing yeah. the, uh, yeah. the, was it Slim Shady he did that year? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is 2001, right? So wow. now what the casting director didn't know is that I had I was interning for his record company. So after they they, you know, after we they confirmed me as one of the M&Ms, I went to Interscope and I was like, "Are you guys doing something with M&M at the MTV Awards?" And they were like, "Yeah, we are." And I was like, "Well, I'm going to be one of the look like M&Ms." So immediately and and there's a lesson to be learned in this. Immediately I was like the most popular kid because i was still a kid right most popular kid at the most powerful record label um in the planet in my opinion because i was going to look like an m&m which was their biggest artist at the time so i was but i was interning at interscope and also doing stuff for mtv viacom so it was like all of a sudden all the executives at interscope who i didn't know during my internship were coming to meet me like who are you like what do you do you know so i became extremely popular now keep in mind this was all going on a day or two before I was supposed to interview at Electra Records, who had called to hire me. Wow. At the same time, I was graduating college. So what would you do in this situation, right? You have the opportunity of a lifetime to get a job or to get interviewed to potentially get a job. Right. You're just about to graduate college, while at the same time, you could also be doing this Eminem MTV thing. So I had a choice to make. Was I going to go for my job interview or was I going to do this MTV thing and be like a look like some shady for a hundred dollars? <laughs> so, so of course, me being the uh, at kid at the time, I chose the uh, Eminem Eminem thing. thing. <laughs> I'm yeah. having fun. So, so yeah, exactly. So I, I I dyed my hair blonde. I had uh, one of the executives at Interscope call Electra and say to Electra, "Hey, he can't come in the interview today because he's going to be like this Eminem lookalike." And Electra at the time, who I wasn't speaking with, was like. This kid's got some balls to blow up this interview, right? Like, what is he thinking? Right. Um, follow up uh, two days after I did t- after the MTV, they called me. We did TRL a few like twenty Eminem lookalikes to TRL, and I went to my job interview with like this blonde hair, still this, looking like, like Eminem, still looking like Eminem. <laughs> and I walk in the hallway, and 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 uh, the short end of the, the short story is I actually did get hired at a lecture, but the guy who was interviewing me at the time, uh, Cord. Um, looked at me and said, uh, are you out of your fucking mind? And I was like, uh, I was 21 at the time or something. And I was like, why? He was like, you just blew off an interview to be a look like Eminem. You didn't even call us to do it yourself. You had some other executive at a label do it. And here you show up looking like an idiot <laughs> and you're trying to get a job at like a 
professional record label in 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 Rockefeller Center in New York City. Right. That right. kids would give their you know there's a hundred applications that are coming in for this job. Why should we give you the job? So I, I humbled myself. I gave him my resume and I said, well, you know, I haven't slept in four years. Um, I worked for some of the most powerful people in the music industry, worked for free. And um, I obviously made a really stupid decision and I apologize, but I guarantee that that's not the worth ethic that I'm going to bring to this company. If you give me the opportunity to, to work for you. Right. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you were already hired before you walked in here. I just wanted to see how you're going to respond to that. And from there, <laughs> I like established a relationship with, you know, my, my two bosses at the time at Electra. Um, again, I don't want to over talk, but I worked my way. It just shows the progression. Right. And then I, I was getting like $23,000 a year as an assistant at Electra. But I, I exactly what I told my bosses I was going to do. I did. I was the first one in the office every day. Um, I was the first one in the office every every day. Uh, Five thirty in the morning. I was I was walking in with the with the janitorial services, you know. And when the other executives from different divisions would come into a lecture, they would always see me sitting at my cubicle and at my desk. I was always the first one there, uh, and I was learning and soaking in. But from my internships previously, I was I was already a sponge of knowledge. So when some of these executives who never interned, by the way, but when some of these executives needed help with certain computer programs or certain looking at certain statistics and and analytical information, I was the go-to guy that they would come to because I had already learned that and had, and and was doing that. And I was quite frankly, the youngest person in the building. And they looked to me for for advice. Uh, Bottom line, you know, within a year's time as an intern, I mean, as an assistant, um, they were looking to promote me to be a, a regional uh, director of radio promotion. Um, I'll make it quick from here on out. Uh, 22, 23 years old. 22 years old, I was promoted to run the New York radio department for a lecture. This is kind I of a lot of history. <laughs> I, was, I was the youngest, yeah, I was the youngest um, radio, radio, uh, regional radio director for a lecture in their history. Um, at the time, I was the youngest um, person at that position in the history of the music industry. Two and a half, three years later after that, Electra folded into Atlantic. They fired everyone at Electra, including myself. Um, the head of rap promotion, his name is Corey Llewellyn CL, had a company called Digiwax. It was the first company to service uh, records to, to radio digitally, like MP3 error when radio stations were still getting vinyl to play. Went to work at Digiwax. Year after that, went to work at Jive Records. I moved to Miami, which is why I'm down here in the South now. Uh, around 2004, 2005, went to work for Jive. Um, but during that whole during that whole process, I was working with an artist by the name of Mims. Right. Um, right. Everyone knows him today. Is uh, this is why I'm hot, Mims? But you know, at the time, we were really on an independent grind. Um, and uh, 2006, I got him a deal with Capitol Records. We went on to have the number one record in the world. Um, I yeah. left or I left Jive at that time and started my own management company. Uh, so I guess uh, I really went out on my own entrepreneurial endeavors around 2006. Um, we made over $18 million. Um, Capital Records ripped us off. Um, we were in a nine-year lawsuit litigation with Capital Records. Um, uh, and it, it really kind of soured my taste for the music industry or how a record label would treat an artist right. during that time period. Because keep in mind, I came from the label side. Now I'm on the artist side. Um but during that whole litigation process, I also signed and discovered Jason Derulo, who's one of the biggest pop artists in the world. Um, I signed another artist named Wish to Jive Records. I signed an artist to my management company from Tampa by the name of Two Pistols. And I, got, I helped get Two Pistols his deal with Universal Republic with Monty Littman. 
Um, Two Pistols had that She Got It record, top five record. Um, and, uh, you know, discovered a few producers, got them to publishing companies. Um, now I'm, I'm still in the music industry. I still manage Mims. He's still my business partner. And now I'm into the technology space. That's, that's <laughs> I hope they got it all. I just hope they, and I mean that in a good way. Like, I, like I said, there was a reason I was talking to you because like you're my guy and, and there's so much that, that you have that has gone on or taken place. Let me get this part right here. The capital lawsuit. What was the outcome of that after nine years? So when, when you do a, I don't want to over talk, but when, when you do a lawsuit, um, the record label doesn't typically give you all the information that you're requesting up front that your legal team and your auditors, your uh, accountants are asking for. And they do a paper dump. Um, by the way, very similar to what's happening in our government right now. Um, is where they just they just keep dumping paper on you. They don't right. give it to you at one shot. So you digest a thousand sheets of paper. You think that you have you know some case or some way to go go get the money that you're owed, and then they say, well, here's another thousand sheets of paper. So basically, a lawsuit that was supposed to take a year or two took nine years, um, uh, going back and forth. It basically they, they just drag out. They just drag out the process so you get tired and you don't fight. Um, there was I think something like over thirty line itemized. Um, there was about 30 in, in the lawsuit, there was like 30 points of our lawsuit that we were going after them. Right. And during the litigation process, before you actually go before judges and stuff, you try to settle as many claims as possible. Um, and a lot of those claims we won, like we, we settled on with them, meaning we didn't have to fight in court. They admitted that they were wrong. Um, and, and that they, and they made underpayments for certain line itemized in the accounting report. But the major, the two or three major items, um, is what they, which is where the real money was buried. Um, they fought us on and we, there's different levels of, of litigation and lawsuits. And we won the, it's called a summary judgment. We won the summary judgment. And all that basically means is that the judge feels like you have a case. So it's like you spend eight, nine years to go before a judge. And all the judge is basically telling you is we think you have a case um, and we want your case to go to the next level to be heard by a jury, I believe is the process. So after we won the summary judgment, which really doesn't mean we won anything. It just means that someone's willing to listen to what we have to say. Right. Um, they, they appealed capital records, appealed that summary judgment, and then it went before five judges to decide, um, if they felt like we had a case and those five judges are 70 plus years old, each of them, um, I'm not going to say they don't have a clue about the music industry, but um, our case was very detailed. It's all public knowledge, by the way. You can go read the case somewhere. Um, it brings me nightmares. And the bottom line is those five judges determined that we that our case wasn't worthy to be heard by a jury. So we lost on the major points, won on the smaller points. So the bottom line is um, we won a little bit of the money that we were owed, right. but, we, but we lost – the case essentially, but the way I look at it is it's a complete loss because you should never have to fight for money that you earned, right? It's like, it, it, it wasn't like a business deal gone wrong. Like the record generated $18 million. Right. We had a 50-50 deal with the label at the time, which by the way, since then, there hasn't been too many artists to my knowledge that have done 50-50 net profit deals with labels. Usually they're uh, royalty splits. So the, the artists would get 20% to a royalty rate. We didn't even have a royalty rate. Right. We had label. If the record generates eighteen million dollars, the cost to manufacture the the record and promote the record gets taken out of that eighteen million, and then the profit, the net profit split, gets split fifty fifty between Mims and Capital Records. 
one would imagine if we generated $18 million, even if they spent $9 million on it, which right. they didn't, but even if they spent $9 million on it, that would have left $9 million for MIMS and capital to split, and that wasn't the case. They gave us a check for like fifty grand or something oh, wow. like that when we generated $18 million. Yeah, something is a hundred grand. It was it was something ridiculous. So yeah, uh, bottom line is we lost the case. You said something earlier, and I was talking to uh, I don't you probably know Ray Daniels, Ray Daniels executive in Atlanta. Um, he said, you know what's um, crazy? You know what's crazy? I don't I don't know Ray Daniels, but I saw I, I saw him post something about managers and management that I really really like. So I want yeah. to meet that guy. But, Ray Daniels, but yeah. Ray Daniels is a real good dude. One of my one of my big brothers, like you are in this game. But he said something to me a while back that that you spoke on earlier, and I, I just want you to laugh because I think that the kids nowadays that want to get into this music business, there's something that you did. Like Ray told me this story a while back. Ray said that he had, you know he went to New York. He kind of had the same thing that you had. He had this he had this artist he thought he had. He went to New York. He thought he had the plan. And they almost like laughed him out of the building pretty much like they didn't really the people in the office didn't really feel what he was trying to do. So then he was like, all right. And he said, you know, in that in that he still wanted to leave like with his dignity, you know, and in this business is all like not quite a facade, but it's a facade at, at the kind of because you always got to kind of be ready for anything when you walk in a room. And he said he left and they was kind of like, what you going to do now? And he said he was kind of like, well, I don't know, man, you know, might just hop on a flight, go back today. Might just hop on a flight, go back in a few days. And the moral behind that story was he said everybody in the room there, there, the way they looked at him changed. It was like, what do you mean? How can you do that? He goes, oh, well, you know, work for Delta. You know, I get on a flight when I want. And all of a sudden he became this important guy because they was like, so you you think you get me? You know, cause, you know, because everybody wants a hookup. Everybody wants that guy that can get them something. And, and when you were telling me earlier about how you, you became that guy that like you weren't this big executive, but there were skills that you had that they just didn't necessarily have, like your computer skills, your knowing things that were going to be the next thing. How important would you say for a kid that wants to get in this game in any kind of way or anybody that wants to get in this game to just be able to offer something to the room? Yeah, I, I, I'm, man, you just you really just kind of hit it on the head. I mean, that's that's the most valuable thing, I think, to any employee in any industry is that there has to be some expertise or some knowledge that you have and that you know, and that um, forgive my French, that nobody can fuck with you on. Right. right? That that doesn't mean like that doesn't mean like if I know Microsoft Word. I mean, everyone, a lot of people know Microsoft Word, right? But maybe there's just something in Microsoft Word, some shortcut or something that I know that makes whatever one executive was doing, I could split the time in half because I know how to do it, but none of my peers know how to do it. So. Um, I, it's 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 not even about competition or being competitive. It's just being the best at what you do. Everything that I do, if if I was to, I've been looking into franchising certain things, and, and some people look at me a little crazy. But if I was to franchise, let's say, um, a Taco Bell, um, right? I don't eat I don't eat meat. I haven't had Taco Bell in ten years, so it wouldn't be Taco Bell. But if I was to um, franchise Taco Bell, I would want to clean the bathrooms, work behind the counter, do everything everything from ground from the ground level to the top level before I actually decide whether or not I'm going to franchise um, that 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 franchise um, because I want to learn how to do all the steps right. because if one of the workers um, and not one of the workers if one of my partners in that business um, the jan- from the janitor to the service to the cook are, are all partners in my opinion not employees but if one of those um, if one of my partners weren't able to make it into work 
I, as the CEO, as the head of that company, I would have to know how to do it. So I think that it's really important that when you go to work for somebody uh, or you go to a job that you have a vast uh, – a variety of skills – but that there's got to be a few certain skills like race. There's got to be something that you bring to the table that makes you a valuable, a valuable asset. Uh, when I do when I do conferences all the time, and I know you speak at conferences um, too, Ekin. You know the, the 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 people that come up to me that offer me something, uh, not a monetary value, but someone that that says, Eric, I like what you're doing with Creator App. Um, or I really like someone that gives me a compliment or I'm a New York giant fan. If someone talks, you know, talk shit to me about well, that's New York a rough Giants, life nowadays. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, I don't know. I don't know how we got rid of OBJ. I, 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 I swear to God, I was going to fly to New York city to like deal with some shit. Cause I was like, how do we get rid of, how do you get rid of the best player? Because he doesn't throw the ball. We're getting off the point. We're getting where this is what happens when we, when you mention New York giants, <laughs> it's like we're talking about a skill set like OBJ has a skill set man like how do you get rid of that guy right. um but uh, obviously they feel like there's other replacement players but anyways um the point is there has to be something that you do that that can't be replaced and and if if there's a skill that you have that can't be replaced then you're always going to be a valuable asset some to someone somewhere in some job capacity or maybe you take that skill set like what I did and you go out on your own and you become an entrepreneur that's a big one right there. You know what? I'm I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make another video today to just re-express that point right there because I think that's a that's a lost thing. And and let's stay on this music topic for a while because you know nowadays music is coming out like a microwave and you have a history in this thing of like you know it's even as, as crazy as as Diddy is and people say you know he just sampled he this and that there was a plan and a and a very you know being in New York you understand there was a there was very much a, a plan in Diddy's mind to what he was doing with everything with Bad Boy. So I, I guess I'm, I'm moving over to this thing with the, let's start with the Mims thing. When you got, to, when you got, when you and Mims work and, he, and that whole team over there, coming from my DJ side, there are records that grow on me. And then there are records that I just know, like you hear it and you be like, this is going to go. Is that how you felt? You guys felt when you, when you, when you finished, this is why I'm hot. Huh? Um, so let, let me, so the history behind that record is that DJ blackout, um, is a Grammy award now today, a Grammy award winning DJ. Um, at the time he was a DJ, uh, at, at a, at a West Palm beach, um, hip hop radio station, WMBX at the time and blackout and Mims were working in the studio together in Florida. Mims had came, had moved, had come down here from New York city. I was already down here. Like I said, working for jive, right? They went in the studio, they did the record. Um, and I believe it was blackout that introduced those different four or five samples into the record. And when the song was, when, when we first did the song, those like that part of the song, I think was at the end of the song. And again, I'm not sure if it was Mims or blackout, but someone said, we got to bring that part to the beginning of the song. So we brought the samples to the beginning of the song, which immediately built familiarity um, right. to, to those beats. Um, Mims played me the song. And, and quite frankly, uh, I thought it was, I don't want to say it was a piece of shit song. I was just like, you know, Mims is from New York City. Right. Um, I just said, I, you know, I work with Big Pun and Mob Deep and Loud and Wu-Tang. Like, I'm a 90s hip-hop head. Right. Right. And I'm from New York. Mims is from New York. Mims loves that stuff and appreciates that stuff also. Um, side note, the first tour we ever went on was on Met, which was Met independently was with Method Man. Oh, to wow. To give you a reference. So Mims wasn't putting out, like, this bubblegum-ish, like, poppy radio music. But because of... Because of our knowledge of how radio operated, 
at the time, and I'm not going to call out what artists they were, but at the time, the songs that radio were playing in hip hop were pieces of shit, in my opinion. It was just not there was there was five records on radio at the time that I was like, man, these records are horrible. Like they're just like really, really bad. And I don't want to knock anyone, anyone, any artist craft. Right. So I'm not going to say who they are. But I was just like, man, these records are not my they're not my cup of tea. And they weren't Mims's cup of tea. But Mims is like, if this is what radio wants, this is what I'm going to give him. Because you got to imagine, like, everyone thinks that he's a one-hit wonder, overnight success. But an overnight success is 10 years in the making. Yeah. Me and Mims are like, and, and, and my partner, CL, and other partners, GP, LC, other partners that were involved with us at the time, we had nothing, man. Like we, like, we were broke. We were struggling to pay for gas. And it was like we didn't even know how we were going to – like on the Met the Man tour, there was like five dudes sleeping in a room in the Motel 6. Like <laughs> I was, I, my bedroom on tour was like in a closet, like wow. standing up with a pillow on the wall. Like, it, 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 like I'm not even exaggerating. Like it was crazy. And um, But those were also some of the craziest, funnest times. But um, <laughs> I love – yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I got st- that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> of those, those stories, you know, it's crazy that we have a lot of that on video too, and that I don't know. Um, <laughs> that might be something to put out with the, that, in the content world we live in right now. <laughs> well, well that, that you know what? That'll come out when I run for president, and that'll destroy my presidential. <laughs> or maybe it won't. Maybe it'll help me. But um, might get you the gig. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll get more voters. Um, what the hell is it? So. So, so yeah, so the bot, so Mims played me the song and I heard this is why I'm hot. And in my mind, I was like, as much as I didn't like the song, I was like, um, yeah, this is, this is a hit. Uh, it's got the whole radio, you know, the, the court, the, the hook is memorable. You, right. you only need to hear it one time. The first, it comes in in the first 15 seconds of the song. You have all these crazy samples, but in my mind, I'm like, is this really the direction that you want to go in? And and uh, we were desperate, man. And we went on um, a promo run, which means we visited different radio stations. And I was playing radio stations a different song. Um, and then Mims pulled out This Is Why I'm Hot. And I reluctantly looked at him like, don't play it. And he played it for, for a few radio stations in Fort Myers and in Tampa. And these radio stations looked at me and said, Eric, that first song you played, that's not the one. This, this Is Why I'm Hot song is the one. We're going we're gonna to ch- test it out. And a few stations played it on Friday. Blackout played it. I'm sorry. That's what happened. Blackout played that song on West Palm right. while I was playing poker at the casino at the Hard Rock. And Blackout and Mims called me like, yo, people are calling requesting this song. I just played it. And I was like, I told you guys not to play it. I don't know why you're playing it. Blackout's, cur- <laughs> Blackout's cursing at me. Mims is cursing at me. I'm like, I don't know why you did this. I'm playing poker. I'm trying to win. And I'm like, Blackout, of course you're going to tell me people are requesting this song. You produced the song, so you want me to push it at radio. Right. And Mims is like, no, people are really calling, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, all right, Mims, let's go on the road tomorrow. Let's go visit some stations. And even even though we did that, I still didn't want him to pull out that song, but I know that he had it. Right. If we. And this is, you know, we were playing it on CDs, not MP3s. I know. Look, I think that's the time that we all started to get really acquainted around that time that I met, met you guys. And other than t- I had talked to you before a lot on the phone, you know, with radio stuff before that when you were doing the label stuff. But the whole Mims thing is when I really I met him and uh, the team got I was meeting more of the team. And I can't lie, dude, like I'm, I'm like you, like I'm real picky about certain things. So I'm just like. But I don't know. I don't know. The funny thing about that and, and even me, like being a part of that history. I don't know if I looked at Mims any differently as a New Yorker. You know how you look at some New Yorkers and you go, dude, you're trying to make some South shit. You're, you're trying to, come on, dude, like, do what you do and we're going to like it or we like it. We like you because you're, it's like J. Cole right now. If J. Cole suddenly started trying to make me Gucci Man records or a little Nas X record, we'd all look at him going, 
Come on, Cole. Like, you don't got to make me a dance record. I like the Cole that I, I mean, of course, keep making that Cole better, but you don't have to try to, you know, and I, and I never, I never felt like, I just thought that was a real interesting and, and dope record. I, you know what I'm saying? Like you said, good music is good music. And I don't, like I said, I guess, like you said, the stories behind it and how you guys got there is always funny. Like you said, nah, dude, I don't really feel this shit. And then like somebody says, move the samples to the front and it becomes this thing where people go, oh, wait, I do. Oh, shit. Wait. And next thing you know, you're chasing it. Did you guys ever feel like you were chasing it? Because I know it had to, the shit took off and whoo. Well, I'll say this. I have, we have a exact, I mean, what happened to Ray Daniels happened to us. Like before, this is why I'm hot came out. We had a record called "I Did You Wrong," which is the the, the song that got um, Method Man's booking agent's attention because it was buzzing up on in Fort Myers a little bit. And I think you may have even played it in Tampa, Probably. you know, ten plus years. And and um, uh, we went to every label in New York City, and every label passed. It was like you see, he sounds like Jay Z. No, no, no. Like in New York City, it's like a bunch of. Uh, I don't mean this in a negative way, but like a bunch of rats chasing the same cheese. Right. So Mims and I were like, well, we got to do things a little bit differently. So when I moved to Florida, Miami, like now it's cool. All the artists have homes here and live out here and everyone's coming down to Miami. But back then, um, artists were coming here for like spring break to get paid maybe and then going to go back in New York. Right. But Mims said, I'm going to come down to South Florida and I'm going to spend some, a lot of time down there. I'm going to work with local producers. I'm going to get to know the Eakins in the world. We're going to keep doing and keep meeting people. <clears throat> so, so when we released that record in Florida, everyone thought that he was an artist from Florida. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but he's really an artist from up top, but we had established real personal relationships with people first. Like right. you probably even got to know Mims as, as, as Sean Mims before. Right. We actually hung out. I, I, I forget. Yeah. I never forget. Like you did, like you guys did some really dope stuff that I thought was really dope. Well, we are, like I said, we were, we were on a personal basis. We were, I think I talked to you about maybe 15 different things. I've even called you for just advice. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, I got this question. So it's, it's different to me. And it's like, it goes back to that relationship thing, but you know, I don't, I'm not sure like the history of people remember here at, at, even at USF, you guys have done just wasn't about a check. It was sit down and let's talk to these students about this game and how much we how much we've been through. And if you really want to get into it, and, and I always appreciate you for those things. But I do have two questions about this record, this this particular thing right here. One yeah. is the record was so big and so huge. And we know that there's this sophomore slump. Did you guys feel the pressure of going in and saying, we have to make another, this is why I'm hot? So you got to realize that after, after that record, this is why I'm hot came out, um, about six months later is when we received our first royalty statement. So the record became number one in March of 2007. We got our royalty. Now, granted, we all thought we were rich because we knew how much money it raid, right? We were all happy. We were on the road touring. Life was fantastic. I was signing two pistols. I was signing different artists. This, it was it was the way that we envisioned it, right? Right. Um, um, all the years of preparation came to that moment, so we were very very happy. And six months later, we get our first check from the record label, and it didn't reflect. I mean, you know, it was like nothing. So I was like, wait a second. So that was like in November of 2017. Now, they had a year um, to opt in his second album, meaning the record labels tell you, uh, hey, we're going to give you another album budget to release another album, or B, we're going to drop him. When we got that royalty statement, um, I immediately you know, got on the phone with about 15 lawyers and said, I don't want to be on Capitol anymore. Get us off the label. We're going to sue them. I don't want to release anything with that label. They're, you know, and, and, I, and I went off, and, and, I, and I got on the phone with Capitol executives, and and let them know the business. 
and they still didn't want even though they knew we didn't want to release another album single with them again they still um kept us in the contract now uh unfortunately um there was a gentleman by the name of ronnie johnson um who was the head of urban department and i really really to this day respect ronnie johnson um unfortunately ronnie passed away around that time and so uh, a, a combination of ronnie passing away and what the label did to us financially we just didn't want to be on the label anymore. We're like, this isn't the home for us, right? right. Um, and, and, and if I if I digress, when Capital signed MIMS, um, Capital and Virgin Records were two separate companies. And shortly after they signed MIMS, the CEO of Capital stepped down. Capital merged with Virgin, and Virgin staff took over the project. So the original people we were working with, and it wasn't for that long, but the original CEO that basically had a vision to make me and my company, American King Music, the urban division of Capitol Records, like just bringing all the talent to Capitol on the urban side, like make Mims like the Jay-Z of Capitol, like that vision gone once he left. Right. Right. Um, so so the bottom line is, is that, yeah, there was there were, we didn't want to release a second album on Capitol because we knew that they were, weren't going to pay for us. We, we felt like we were, uh, for lack of a better term, like we were slaves to the system. And, and we were like, this isn't the place we want to be. Um, they said, well. You, you can't get out of your album, uh, Mims, and you can't get out of your deal. Mims and I looked at it like we can't. This is not like in football where you could sit out in a year and come back with like an Antonio Brown contract. Right. I was like, I was like, well, we got to put out something. And at the time, you you know, you can back in the day, records used to be spread out. Right. Like three months single. Now it's like you got to release a single every two weeks to to remain relevant. To just stay relevant. <laughs> and, and it wasn't as bad back in 07, 08. But there was a time where it was like, man, this one one year hiatus between albums was it was was quite frankly, was a little bit of a killer for us. Um, and 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 if you want me to give you some real inside information, the reason is, is that there's there's fiscal fourth quarters in the in the music industry. And um, EMI was not an American owned company. Um, their fiscal fourth quarter in America, our fiscal fourth quarter is uh, December 31st. Right. Their fiscal fourth quarter is the March 31st. Oh, so wow. their year, their year period. So basically, they wanted to get the album out to get Billy to get. Uh, so here's what happened with Mims's album. They were like, "We're going to release this single." Uh, I picked the move. Me, Mims, we picked the move single. We released Move, which was the second single. The label goes, "We're going to release the album March." Blah blah blah. And I was like, "No, we're not. We got to release an, at least one more single before we release an album." Right. So like, no, we're releasing it now. You don't have a choice. And I said, well, get me the numbers. What are your sales predictions for the album? So they got me the sales predictions for the album. And it was like, it was decent, you know? And I was like, I was like, well, I, we, Mims and I reluctantly gave them permission to release the album, but they guaranteed us a second single. Now, what I found out is the reason they wanted to release that album in March is because they get billing from retail, meaning retail pays you upfront for the albums. Ah. But, but then in <laughs> April and May, when those, so they can report to their shareholders, hey, we sold you know millions of dollars worth of albums of Mims, right? And then what happens is, is that when those albums don't sell in May, June, or July, the money that they got from the retailers has to be returned back to the retailers if the albums don't sell. Right. The retailers get paid back for the albums that don't sell. So imagine if you're a, a shareholder and you say to a shareholder, we made $20 million. And the shareholder's like, this is great. A month or two later – $18 million, and this is just, these are hypothetical numbers, but $18 million of that goes back to the 
to the retailers. The shareholders don't know that until God knows when. Right. So it was a, it was basically manipulation of the money system and how money comes in and how and 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 um, profit and loss statement, how the profit and loss statements go back and forth. And um, so basically, they basically took advantage of us. Um, they put the album out. They never gave us the second single like they were supposed to. Um, they finally granted us our release that we had wanted. After that, right. the album didn't the album didn't do well. Um, and, which which we knew by the way wasn't going to do well because we told them not to release the album. Um, so the answer is yes. We we fell we fell victim to the sophomore jinx. Um, we all had a feeling it was going to happen. Um, we still remain independent and uh, we're still pretty happy. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> My second question about that, and, and, I, and I hope everybody's paying attention because there's a lot of gems within this. You might have to listen to this interview twice just to get all the gems that this dude is dropping. This this question here is about this may be more of an opinion thing being and, and, and look, look deep within the New Yorker in you and take that New Yorker and, and let's put that New Yorker now looking at the world. And let's talk about New York hip hop for a second. And, and back to our point of like, I think the thing that makes Jay-Z so great is that he remains Jay-Z. No matter who he gets on a record with, there's still a certain amount of Jay-Z that we always get. But you and I in this history, and like you said, without calling out any names or sounding disrespectful, we've seen artists be like, I got to change up everything I do. And we like certain regions for what they do. Like, I would never want Snoop to sound like Migos. I want Snoop. You know what I'm saying? So do you think that one of the biggest or better yet, let me let me just get what do you think one of your biggest one of the biggest reasons that New York hip hop and I don't want to use the word fall off. I'll say fall behind has fallen behind in the big scheme of things. And and the, we know the record companies are right there. You know, there in L.A., the record companies are right there. What do you think? You know, and, and if if you don't think that they've fallen behind and you can tell me that, too. But I personally think that they have in the big scheme of things with hip hop. But what do you give me? Give me your opinion on that. Well, so you're obviously talking about today, today's hip hop, or you talk you're talking about right now, right? Yeah, let's, uh, yeah. Let's talk about. I guess we can talk about how it's. Gra- to me, it seems like it's a it's a gradual thing that's added. You know, so we can just talk about where we are right now in the state of hip hop. Or better yet, let's uh, start here. Who do you think is leading hip hop right now? The South, the West, the if we looked at a if we looked at a region, maybe um, I should have started that way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Cardi B is leading hip hop right now. <laughs> well, there you go. And That's she, New York, I guess. And she's from New York, right? I mean, I like, guess that. Well, that, that almost that might make my other point a mute point. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let I mean, let's be realistic. You know, everything that Cardi B is on right now is popping, and and I'm and I'm very uh, very happy that that female MCs are getting um, a lot of recognition now. Um, no, I mean, no. Let, let me address the initial point. I don't know if hip hop, uh, uh, New York hip hop, is kind of is kind of fighting back right now. I mean, okay. uh, like I said, we got, we got Cardi. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of My Son, and I know that My Son is not like the most popular globally recognized um, artist, but My Son is dope, and he's good for the people. Right. Uh, and and his and his music is and his music is dope. But again, that's the New York early '90s guy coming out. Um, I like what I like what Dave East is doing. You know, um, and we, we got, you know, we, we New York artists are still doing are still doing all right. Right. Um, I, is there a dominant area in hip hop or region in hip hop right now that's really doing it? Like like I, I love Snoop. Uh, I'm, very, I'm really excited that Schoolboy Q's album, I think, is dropping today or tomorrow. Like I can't like that to me is going to be like one of the dopest albums uh, to come out this year. So um, groovy, you know, groovy. But um, I, I mean, I. 
the I mean, Atlanta, Florida, like that sound is still kind of popping versus like Chicago, Texas right. area, right? Um, but I don't necessarily know that there's a real dominant region anymore. I hope I hope that we're past that, um, and I hope that right now that we're just judging we're just judging music by 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 music. Um, I, I'm still, like I said, I'm a, a '90s hip hop guy, right? Um, but I I could still relate. I could still relate to today's music. There's certain music that comes out today that I that I like. Um, I, I like. Um, why am I drawing a blank? What are those kids from Atlanta? Uh, Ray Shermer. Oh, Ray like, Sherman. I was telling my friends like I liked them like a, a couple of years ago. And they're like, "Yo, you're bugging," and I'm like, "Nah, I like Ray Sherwood. Uh, I think that they're I think that they're pretty talented." They're actually you know? from Mississippi too. I think they're actually from Mississippi. Oh, are they? Yeah, I didn't even, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're actually yeah. from Mississippi. So, so like you know, you know, like me personally, like you know, they're they're uh, there's let me say this. There's also a lot of in the in the regions that are popping. Like there's some artists in those regions too that I think uh, suck, right. for lack of a term. I just think like and they're popular. And the kids love them, and uh, I just don't like the path that the music or that that uh, artist character and personality is putting out in the world. Right. Um, uh, so, yeah, and I, I don't want to go too much deeper into that. I'm sure you can read who I'm talking. Right. Thinking <laughs> I think we're in a catch twenty two now, which which is why I'm glad that we're in this part of the conversation because you being you coming from a music executive side. A radio working, a, a working radio records guy, a manager guy, a guy who's put things together by pretty much playing A&R, signing producers. That you've had the whole gambit, right? So, so when we look at this game right now, part of part of my problem with it is from the side of, I guess I'll look at who's putting these things out, right? A lot of these things are coming out because. Well, it's hot right now. We, we got to throw it out. And, 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 and in this microwave society we have, music is, is just like everything else. It's, it's like, yo, it, it's hot right now. This kid has a million followers. You know, like Ted Lucas told me, Ted Lucas is like, you go to a label now. The first thing they ask you is, so how many Instagram followers you got? How many Twitter followers you got? What's, what's your YouTube numbers looking like? That's before they even hear the music. Well, I want to I want to. Yeah. I don't know if it's that bad. Uh, they they do ask those questions, but th- quite frankly, any labels that are asking those questions, th- I mean, that's that's an ignorant way to sign to sign musicians because everyone knows that social media file can be completely manipulated. But um, and and I I don't use those statistics when I'm evaluating what artist or producer I want to manage. Right. Um, I use my gut. I use do I like it. Can I see myself being on the road with this artist? Because I'm very hands-on. Uh, but most importantly, I remove myself from the equation and I say, are the people, are the fans going to like it, right? Because that's you know, me Me being at the age that I'm at now, it's not so much what I like anymore. It's what what did the Eric when I was 13, 16 years old and I listened to Nas Elmatic, what did I like? What did the kids, who are the new Nas's of today? What did they like? Um, but going back to, I guess, what, what Ted had, had, had said to you um, and how the labels, the labels are looking – the labels are not developing talent like they are supposed to do or like they were doing uh, back in the day. Right. The labels are really looking to sign businesses. And you have to have a good team around you, a good good managers around you. Um, and you have to you have to come with with a, with an idea so that the label knows that w- the label wants to take something. They don't want to take something from A to Z. They want to take something from like uh, M to Z. Yeah. M, We're in the same place, right? You've gotten it halfway yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got to already have some momentum and some things. And, and obviously having having a social presence is part of that A to M process. But that's not the only process, right? If you have like a decent social following, but like, you know, your manager can articulate a conversation the label's like, man, this is what we're going to have to deal with while, when we sign you. So it's like you got it. You got to kind of, it, like a, a leader. 
um, you know, one of the best things about about and I don't want to get political, but one of the best things about President Obama is that he knew where he was weak and his cabinet reflected his weaknesses. Right. Um, and it complemented his strengths. And that's what a leader is supposed to do. You're supposed to bring in um, strong people around you. So if you're an artist and you're listening to this podcast, it's important that you surround yourself around people who build up your strengths and, um, and and make you a full package, a full company. So when your record does get hot and when your Instagram and Twitter starts to blow up, that those people around you know how to take advantage of that. And when you become an asset and when you become when you become an asset, you have bargaining power. When you have bargaining power, it means you make more money in life. And it means you may get a better record deal or, or whatever direction you want to go and you have options and you have choices. But if you're going there at like, please sign me, please sign me, please this, please that. Now you're, you're practically a liability and they're, and, and the labels are not going to give you, um, they're not going to take you seriously. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, you're not going to get to leave it at that because, you know, right after you finish with that thought, here comes Eakin with another one. And this one is big because you live in this you live it. You've moved. You've moved smoothly into the into understanding the digital space, which to me, you're one to me. You're one of the guys that you've understood it for quite a while to me. And like if I've had a question, I mean, all the way back from you guys, even starting with DigiWax, when you guys are like first servicing the digital record pool. So you guys are like ahead of a lot of things. So let's talk mm-hmm. about let's talk about. These kids now, and and I would even say just kids, because, you know, me coming from really, you know, everybody knows me. I'm really like a radio dude. Like I'm a radio dude. Like I love radio. I've always been a relationship dude. Like you say, though, too, that's that's to me is one of my biggest strengths is being a relationship dude. Records are secondary to the relationships to me. But a lot of these, you know, with the with the emergence of Spotify and these platforms, radio doesn't seem as important anymore. So they say. But the research shows that radio is still a big place for people to discover music. And earlier we touched on this and I know it's, I know you want to give me your thoughts on this, this whole radio thing. So you got the floor again. <laughs> uh, shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyone, anyone out there who's discrediting radio doesn't understand the music business right now. They don't understand the dynamics and the audience. Um, first of all, I am, I am a radio fan. I started off as a radio promoter. Um, I understand where the trends are going. I am a pioneer um, with blockchain and music technology, um, so I'm not I'm not ignorant to like new things that are coming out in the technology space. But I also understand the power uh, and the control that 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 radio has. Um, radio is important. Um, getting your record onto onto um, streaming streaming playlists is also important, um, and and it's actually growing in importance um, and could potentially take over, take over radios. Um, you know, people, despite what people may say, the majority of people, they like having curation. So they like the radio station to play the top 40 songs that the radio station thinks are the most popular songs for, since I've been born, people like that. Like, can you imagine waking up in the morning and the radio station playing a million different, uh, hundreds of thousands of different songs? Right. Like you won't build familiarity with with a new record. You'll just be like, yeah, that was cool. On to the next. Like I listen to albums now, and if the album if an album doesn't blow me away the first time, like a friend of mine is gonna have to say, Eric, give that album some more. Like Nerd, the Nerd album, right? The right. first Nerd album that came out. I listened to it one time, and again, this is years ago. I get, I listened to it one time. I didn't give it any. I was like, ah, whatever. A friend of mine who I respect is like, man, you don't like the Nerd album. 
Um, and I was like, yeah, they're like, well, how many times do you listen to it? I was like, I listened to it once. They're like, go listen to it again, but really listen to the album and get into the music. And, you know, that's one of my favorite albums to date now. So it's like, so the, the point is, is that um, people like, I don't want to say being told what to listen to, but people like having stuff curated for them. And radio does uh, a great job of doing that. Now, the problem is that you get a lot of artists, upcoming artists, who want to talk bad about radio or talk bad about radio because they're not getting played on radio. And right. I understand that. I understand that. Believe me, I understand that. There's, I have a lot of stuff that wasn't played on radio um, that frustrated me. Um, but once you get on radio, you're the happiest artist in the world. Right. So it's like, you know, like everyone talks bad about, oh, all I hear is the same 40 songs. Believe me, as an upcoming artist, you want one of your songs to be one of those 40 songs. Believe me. Right. If, if you don't want one of your songs to be on radio, to be then – I don't really know what you're doing in this music industry. And that doesn't mean that you can't have like an independent mentality and F radio and F this. But believe me, you're, if your record gets played on radio, even if you hate radio, you're happy your song is on radio. Right. Because and, um, your money flow increases. Right. And jumping in as a radio dude, too, you know, you know, we found out and, and there's stats to show this. I don't know exactly what, what they are, but I've read this. The funny thing about everybody who talks about radio and having all this access to Spotify and all these billions of songs that are out there, the average person listens to the same songs over and over again. You know what I'm saying? So the same complaint they're making about radio is just that, like you said, maybe because they get to they got to curate that playlist. But another point I want to make sure I get out of here, I get out here, too. And this is from something that I learned from being a student of the radio game and being in it is radio wants to play you. Your favorite song, which sometimes even I, as a radio person and a person who's learned the program, think that the rotations are tight sometimes, think that, oh, my God, we're hearing that song again. Imagine sitting in the studio. But the object is to play you your favorite song. And in reality, I think the statistics are that the average person listens to the radio. In reality, if you average this all out 12 to 15 minutes a day. Yeah. So you're trying to get that person their song on. And if you think that they love Cardi B and of course, she's the biggest thing going right now. That's probably why we hear so much Cardi B. So if you're a new guy that and and another thing I try to tell people too, and maybe and you can definitely attest to this. I didn't tell you to wake up and be a damn rapper. You know what I'm saying? And as a DJ, people be like, yo, Ekin, I can't believe you didn't break my song. I didn't tell you to be a damn rapper. Like, I, just because you went home today and made a record, all of a sudden you got on Fruity Loops and you make, I like mayo on my ham sandwich. I like mayo. All of a sudden, I'm wrong. You mad at DJs now. DJs is, excuse my language, some punk ass bitches because they don't play. We didn't tell everybody to be a rapper. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, yeah. I don't know, man. I, 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 I mean, I mean and, and that's why there's other outlets out there. Like, uh, you know, there, there, there's... For for better or for worse, there's it, it's easier than ever to get your music distributed. You know, record labels used to hold all the power because they controlled the distribution channels. Right, they, they don't anymore. Um, so you can literally in five seconds, in less than five minutes, make a record and put it out digitally and have it on streaming platforms and digital platforms for sale within an hour. Right. Um, so. You don't you don't need the record labels to put your music out there anymore. You can create a SoundCloud account. There's a lot of things that people can do, but but let's be honest. The, the problem is is that 95% of, of of upcoming artists out there or people in general are fucking lazy right. and they want shit done for them. And then you have these artists out there that are like, man, f a label. I don't need a label. Da da da. I don't need a label. Uh, oh well, then do, do it on your own, and then. Um, try to try to do it on your own and then let's see how you feel about labels when you try to do things on your own. 
um, and, and you're probably not as successful as, as you want to be. Again, I am not by any stretch of the imagination and uh, a label activist, right. um, but I'm not a hater either. And I realize that there's a nice balance and I realize there's certain artists that belong independently and not with a label. I also understand what a label can do for you. And in my case, do to you. Um, right. But, um, uh, and, and, and I'm educated, uh, in, in, in both areas of, of the, of the game. I always have an independent mentality, but I'm not opposed to getting, uh, 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 to getting help in areas that I'm, I'm not as strong in. Right. But I would, I would, and I think you can agree with me here. I would advise people too. like the independent mentality is not the problem. You still should, cause you should still want to do the work. Even if you get a label right. as a partner, which, that's right. which, which takes that's me to, right. you know, we're, we're celebrating yeah. Nipsey hustle right now, which is yeah. I, the reason yeah. I hate it is because I wish he'd have got this much love while he was here to see how important he was to the yeah. culture. But even yeah. he said, and all of his independent mind, in, independent mindset, he said he got to a point that he couldn't take it any further, which made why he wanted the partnership, you know, why he agreed to the partnership with, with, with Atlantic. And you can speak to that. And like you said, there's, there's, there's relationships that those, that the labels have. And you've been on, you've been on that side of the fence as well that you had being a label exec that, you know, you could take a kid that you think is hot that wants to work. And you're like, dude, let me make this call for you. You know, there's, there's things that you guys have on the inside. That's going to get a kid, you know, an interview on a radio station that they would have never even got past the receptionist. And I think that we forget that part that, that there is some there's big value in the things that are done on that side of the fence. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you, you nailed it on the head and, and you used um, uh, the, the today's perfect example is, is Nipsey. Um, uh, obviously, rest in peace to Nipsey, his family, friends, fans, everyone that loves the guy. Um, I, I completely agree with you. I wish he got as much love uh, when he was alive that he's that he's getting now. Um, he sold like $2 million in merch or something like yeah. that, or some ridiculous amount of merch. I wish people were buying his merch, um, when he, when he was here and, and could have really enjoyed it. Um, I respect Nipsey. Um, and I, I met him one time. I know, I know his manager or his manager at the time. Nipsey actually came to Mims's second album release party in LA. Um, just did a quick walkthrough. Um, remember East, you know, Mims is from the East coast, right. album release party on the West coast. Nipsey comes through and shows love. Um, uh, but it's not a, it's not about Mims. It's about Nipsey. That guy, like his, like if you're an upcoming artist, please go watch every Nipsey Hustle interview. Not the, not the interviews really where he's even talking about music. Look at the interviews when he's talking about his business mindset, cryptocurrency, real estate. Ekin, you may not know this, but I'm actually, I'm also a real estate agent. Um, like look at, look at his, look at his thought, look at his thought process behind like real estate, cryptocurrency, his business mindset. I mean. From, from what I just read yesterday, his family is returning any all these donations that and, and I hope I'm not wrong in saying this, but his family returned or is returning all of the donations that came in. The GoFundMe um, stuff, yeah, they're returning all, that. All this, all this GoFundMe stuff because the guy set up his kids to be properly taken care of in, in, in the unfortunate, yep. uh, you know, untimely demise of his of his death. Nipsey Hustle didn't have like big records that made a shit ton of money. At like, all. And, 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 and even though he's saying that he owned that, you know, Nipsey owned his masters um, now in hindsight, now it makes a lot of sense because his music is making a, a decent amount of money right now. Right. But when he was alive, him owning his masters really didn't mean much at the time. Um, but it shows you the importance of owning your masters um, now. Uh, so so where, so where did all this money, where did this nest egg from Nipsey come from? Um, I'm assuming shows, uh, obviously marathon clothing. But now that he's passed away, all of this money from the clothing and the masters is all going to go to his kids. 
man, you got, he's got, he owns real estate. He owns, you know, what, what I'm really impressed at is he has a technology, like a co-working incubator, accelerator right. space. That was dope. Like, like real, and, and by the way, and that's why Rock Nation signed Nipsey Hussle. It probably wasn't just because he was musically talented. They signed Nipsey because he was a walking business, which is what I said before. He was a business. Right. He brought something, he brought something to the game that a lot of independent artists don't bring don't bring to the game. Um, I, I do I do want to bring up something, uh, and that is uh, and that is Two Pistols, who's from Tampa, and, and I, I, I work with and sign different artists for various reasons. Um, and, and I definitely don't want to draw a comparison between Two Pistols and Nipsey Hussle. They're two, um, two independent men on their own, and they deserve to be independent. But I right. do want to give, give Two Pistols a little bit a shout out and a little bit of respect because when I when I had when when I was managing or before I managed Two Pistols, I, I asked a lot of my friends in Tampa like, "Who's popping out here?" And uh, they were like, "Oh, this Two Pistols kid's got a record, and it's about to go on radio, and and and, and you know people like him out here. And he's got good relationships." So I met with I met with two pistols and what he was doing at the time and I don't want to spend too much time talking about but he was paying artists this is I want I want artists who are listening to really train their minds to think a little bit differently with Mims we did things differently by coming to Florida and pushing a New York artist down here when nobody was doing it right right that's how we thought a little bit differently with two pistols two pistols was paying artists um, T, the reason that he got T-Pain on that She Got It feature is because he had paid T-Pain to do a show. So he paid T-Pain to do a show and he opened up for, two, for, for T-Pain. So not, not only was he a promoter, he was putting money in another – this is what I'm saying. You're, you're being an asset to somebody else. He right. was putting money in, in another artist's pocket. So now all of a sudden the artist likes him. He was opening the show. So he was making money as a promoter. He was building relationships with artists. He was also building his own career by opening up for that show. Right. So he was he wasn't losing he was so it's like now to me, that's a real like I never saw that before. Right. Like as a, this is a keep in mind now, this is like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I never saw that from an independent artist where they weren't just bringing artists down to make money as a promoter, but he was like, yo, I'm gonna I'm gonna build my relationship with T Pain. I'm gonna uh, open up. I'm going to make money. And then once I have this relationship with T-Pain, I'm going to ask him to come jump on my record. Right. And then once I get that record, now I'm going to go push it to my friends and my people that I know, my DJs in Tampa. And, and then I'm going to get an amazing manager like Eric to help get me a deal. And, and that's kind of <laughs> like, and that's, and that's kind of like, and, and when I saw that in him, I was like, like, I didn't just want to manage two pistols because I thought his music was incredible. Right. I, I want to manage two pistols because I thought that his mindset, um, Today, Nipsey, the, 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 that independent mindset is very rare to find. Right. And um, I wanted to be in business with somebody like that. Like when I manage someone, they're like partners. So they're like, I don't work for you. You don't work for me. I mean, technically, the, the manager does work for the artist. Right. The manager is right. the voice of the artist. Um, the intermediary between um, the artist and the label or the artist's vision and getting that vision to the world. That's really what a manager's responsibility is for. But but man, I'm not I'm not carrying no artist luggage. Like, that's not what I that's <laughs> not, not what you I do. do. Um, now, now I have, um, but it's cause I want, it's not like they're like, I, I have, it's not like uh, they left you know, their bags there and walked off. Yeah. It's not like they leave their, no, like, yeah, well that's happened, but it's not <laughs> like, like, I've never had an artist say, yo, Eric, go get my bag. Like, right. it, it may be like, yo, we're running five minutes late to a show. I'm like, yo, get on the bus, get to the show. I'll go get your bags. You right. Know? <laughs> so, um, but, but again, it's friendship partnership, right? Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but the bottom line is, is that Nipsey's, um, Nipsey's business mind and independent mentality, um, is something that should be that 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 we should all treasure. And quite frankly, I think that that's really why 
um, why his death affected so many people that a tra- that that Nipsey Hussle transcended music. Right. And 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 I hope that any artist that's listening right now think about how you can transcend um, music or think about how you can transcend whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and, and you'll be, uh, uh, you know, immortalized. Yeah. And I think honestly, just to jump on that point, even me, dude, as, as long as I've been in this, I've started getting more into like, you know, like I knew about Nipsey cause I'm, I'm a music person and I've listened to the music. It's gone like to where people are requesting Nipsey music in my parties. That had never happened before, but mm-hmm. I've even gotten lessons about, and I think anyone that Especially the entertainment business, anything to do with the entertainment or this lifestyle or or what we call the culture. I think the Nipsey Hustle blueprint, you should definitely be going over that. Like, like you said, you know, you have school books or the book, everything you ought to know about the music business. I think the Nipsey Hustle, it should be like a case study as as part of this business, you know, and. Another thing that's going around the Internet real crazy right now. And I, this is the perfect time to have you here because you've done a plethora of things. People talk to me all the time about, yo, Eakin, do you manage artists? Which I no way, no fucking how want to manage an artist because it's 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 almost sometimes I don't want to say it's a thankless job. You can probably tell me a little bit more about it. But one of the biggest phrases I've heard as of late and, you know, you know, the memes is the, the memes. The memes are what you what I love. The memes are the biggest meme that I've seen as of late is if you want a manager, have something for them to manage. How how far does that go to you as a, as a manager, someone who, who, you know, you've played the part of signing people and helping to build careers, you know, because these new artists, that's what they say. I need a manager. What? Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, it, it goes back. It goes back to like laziness, like uh, artists say they need a manager. It's like for what? Like as a, I've spent and I think, uh, you know, I, I post on social media all the time. I've spent probably over half a million dollars over my career traveling to conferences and building relationships with people. I've read – I mean I have books. I've read 50 music industry books probably 10 times over. I've hired lawyers that have cost me literally millions of dollars. I've gone through legal battles. I know the CEOs of every record label. I know, um, I know, uh, obviously DJs um, <laughs> all across all across uh, the world. By the way, not just in America. Um, I, I know the the bottom is that like my my network is my net worth. Right. So now you as an artist are coming to me because you want me to manage you because you want me to open up everything that I've done in my entire career for you. And you and I have a management agreement, which essentially, and this is kind of what you were getting at, essentially you can kind of as an artist break that management agreement almost at any time. Um, you know, someone says that, you know, laws are made to be broken, right? So are contracts. Right. So it's like you want me to do all this for you. And the truth is, is that for – and Mims is not this individual, um, which, is, which is why he and I are still in business today. But th- there are a lot of opportunists. There are a lot of opportunists. Um, in the world. And as much as that artist says, man, I need you to manage me. I need you to manage The second something bigger or better comes along for that artist, they're going to leave you in two seconds right. to go with what they perceive as another bigger, greater opportunity out there. So when you say management is a thankless job, um, that's probably where, where you're getting that from, where you could do all this work and the artist could just turn around and shit on you and leave you for the next thing coming. I've seen it. Um, and, and in a lot, of, unless you're using my management agreement, they can. In my management agreement, they can't. Um, but that's why I don't manage a lot of people, also, because there has to be some mutual respect there. Right. Um, but um, I, I love being a manager. Um, I, I, I obviously you could tell by this podcast I love talking, uh, right. and, and, I, and I, feel, I, I feel like I, I have a lot to um, 
edu- I feel like I can educate a lot of people. Um, uh, and, um, you know, you're, you're getting 20% of what that artist is, is making across the board. Right. And right. you can live a, you can live a pretty good life if you have, if you have, um, if you have a successful artist, uh, you can have a, if you have a, if you have an artist like Nipsey Hussle that has that mindset, you'll, you'll be in, if, if you're managing Nipsey Hussle, you're, you're in a good space, right? right? If you're managing, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I want to say it. But Let's just keep it a good space. If you're managing Justin yeah. Bieber, you're in a good space. You're Scooter Braun, you're, you're in a good space. Yeah. yeah. If you're, if you're managing those artists, you're in, you're in a good space. I'll, I'll give you a funny thing is that I wanted to sign Nicki. I don't think I've ever, well, there's a few people who know. I wanted to sign Nicki Minaj. Um, I know everyone says that now, but, right. um, Nicki Minaj, when, when Mims had This Is Why I'm Hot, Nicki Minaj did a song. She actually redid the song called Dreams. Okay. And she basically, back in like 07, she, at the time, she rapped about like over Biggie's beat. She rapped about all the like upcoming rappers that she would like, you know, right. phone or whatever. And she mentioned, she was like, you know, um, call up Mims and give him back shots because this is why, this is why he's hot. Uh, or he can give me back shots because this is why he's hot. And, I, and me and CL had listened to this, like that song. And I was like, I know that she's rapping over Biggie Beats, and everyone thinks that if you rap over Biggie Beats, like you're the greatest thing. I'm like, but listen to her, like her cadence. Right. And I wanted to sign her, and I hit her up on MySpace. That shows you how old I am. Like, hey, Nick, <laughs> I, I, I manage Mims. I'd love to sign you. And she never responded to me. But the point is, is like to, uh, today, and I think that she had just she just today or yesterday announced that she was getting rid of her previous managers. Um, is Nicki Minaj as popular and as dope as she is? Would that be the kind of artist that I would want to manage today? I don't know if I have an an, I don't know if I have an answer for that. Um, And this is not discrediting her in any form or fashion. She's made a shit ton of money. She's extremely pop. I mean, obviously, you know, all the accolades. Right. Um, But I feel like she may have. I don't know. I I, I guess I would want to manage her today. But I'll say it because, you you know what, I'll I'll say it from from my side as a person watching and being and I'm the media. God damn it. I can say it. I think part of I think one of the biggest things that I and and Nikki ain't even the only example of this. I think you have have to have you have to as an artist, when you have a manager like yourself that's been in this game, you have to want to listen at the same time. Like, you understand what I'm saying? And even though we have these platforms that you can that you can just open up and say whatever you want to. Sometimes your manager's got to step in and go, you know what? Don't worry about going live with that shit. Let's let that. We'll let that one go. We'll let the blogs handle it. Don't. It's better if, if you don't say nothing at all. They can just keep saying what they think you would say. But once you go live and once you do certain shit and, and like like I'm like I'm gonna, and just use Nikki as an example. And I've been wanting to voice this for a while. I've said it to a couple people in conversation. I feel like I don't even know if if hating on Cardi B is the word I would use. I just feel like. Nikki felt the space she was in was so vulnerable and so so about to be gone that she didn't know what to do. And I don't think the team knew how to sit her down and go, this is how we're going to handle this. Because I feel like also, too, in this whole women empowerment time that we in, there was so much fucking money left on the table by what her and Cardi could have done together. You understand what I'm saying? Even if they would have, like Jay-Z and Justin, co-headlined a tour. Jay-Z and Eminem, co-headlined. Can you imagine if they would have co-headlined a tour with the City Girls and all these B, you know, the B rappers like Young M.A. And you know what I'm saying? And that would have been together. And then the impact that they would have had on the, on the next generation of young girls. You understand what I'm saying? Meanwhile, we're pushing we're pushing this narrative around social media of, and, and I had, and I was one of the first people who jumped in BET's ass because I felt like, Every time one of them does something, we don't have to compare the other one. We don't have to do that. And 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 Cardi had did something, and then BET went and fucking on social media, and and talked about 
Nicki Minaj's hair or some some shit that had nothing to do. And I'm like, yo, this is what the narrative is online. And as opposed to they were both at the top. At the, and that's still, like you said, they're still the top one and two, especially as far as female rappers go. The Cardi shit is out of here right now, but you and I both know that in six months it could be something else that's out of here. But I just feel like as a movement, when they both were, we had all the bullshit going on. I, somebody that was a manager, to me, could have looked at that shit and gone, stop, put on the damn brakes. Let's look at these examples. Jay-Z and Justin. Jay-Z and Beyonce. They did a co-headlining tour with some of the biggest sponsors back in that shit, made all kinds of money, and the whole thing. Now, you may not have been best of friends, but the movement that would have pushed, and like you said, all the records, the, the, who knows what kind of music would have came out of there. And that's where I think that sometimes these artists have to have a manager that they trust and believe in long, enough to go, what should we do? Yeah, I'm mad this morning, but before I open up this live, I'm calling you. You know what I'm saying? And that manager can go, come on, man. You, you know, like, I know you're upset, but maybe who knows? Call that person. You know, and am I, am I, am, I mean, I, a, these things bother me being a hip hop fan. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a fan. Like, I'm a, like, even right now, something else. And this is totally in this same realm where I, I think that I want these teams to get better with their artists. This Kodak Black shit is going on right now. Right? Let's, you know, and on the one hand, I think some of these older rappers, when, when, like, if I, it's like me and you. I feel like you and I are close enough that if I see you do something online, I'm not going on my live to try to blast you. I'm going to hit you and be like, yo, man, I don't know about that shit right there. That might have been real questionable. Now, we may argue behind the scenes, but if I, once I blast you on live, you're in a whole other place, right? Yeah, so then yeah, yeah. let's let's push it up to what just happened. Now, Kodak, to me, is at the top of where he's like, you know, especially as far as him being out. He's back pretty much in that top echelon of who everybody's talking about in the rap game. So for him to allegedly be driving an Escalade dirty with guns and weed in it, trying to cross the border... Somebody on the team, like he's, or either somebody got to listen to management or we got to have somebody just coaching better because we could ruin everything. And maybe I'm on a tangent, but this, maybe that's why I, I, lo- I love to learn shit on this platform. But I just think we got to, you know, like you said, when you have a manager and a team, you also got to want to listen to that team and that management. Um, Kodak Black, to my knowledge, doesn't have a manager. Yeah, didn't 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 at the time does um I believe uh, Gucci Pucci who used to manage Ross right I believe that Gucci Pucci is like well, I mean Kodak in one of his interviews said he doesn't have a manager but I believe that Gucci Pucci um who by the way is a very smart guy I very don't know smart. him that well um um you know very well well respected guy um I believe that Gucci's been trying to manage him or trying to help him um but yo you know uh what's that old saying you can you can lead a horse to the water but you can't force it to drink right you know like um not calling anyone a horse but just the analogy of uh, of, of of that process like there has to be there has to be a respect there has to be a respect factor there uh, i i believe that gucci is probably 10 15 20 years older than kodak and then kodak and been around and, the game and and um yeah i mean you know there's a reason you go to the doctors you know you like both you and the doctor know you're sick, right. but maybe the doctor knows how to fix you a little bit better than you know how to fix yourself. Like they, 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 they went to school, like they've been doing it. They've seen 
30,000 cases of what you have. Right. So maybe just drinking water isn't going to make you feel better. Not that I'm pro doctor and medicine and stuff, but maybe that's not the, maybe that's not going to be what's going to get you quick. Uh, you know, so it, you got to kind of like listen, I don't want to say listen to your elders, but you got to kind of like respect and listen to people that came before you right. because if they're managing you, then there's supposed to be some sort of mutually respect and, and, and partnership between, between each of you. Um, listen, Mims and I butt, butt heads a lot. And, um, uh, Quite frankly, we're butting heads more now than we were in the past. Right. Um, but but that's but that's cool because we, we've gone through the process together. But he and I will never, never disrespect each other. And like you said about the checking thing, like like well, he and I will never check each other publicly. Like I'll never like I'll never call him out publicly. He'll never call me out publicly. Um, but but our relationship transcends just a business relationship. Um Bottom line is Kodak didn't have a doesn't have a manager or doesn't listen he he doesn't have one and if he did he probably wouldn't listen to him right and um and, and quite honestly um a lot a lot of managers out there that there's not a, are I don't want to say do I don't want to say do boys but there's a lot of managers out there that are afraid to communicate with their clients and with their partners because they could be fired this goes back to what we were talking about earlier they could be fired so it's like you know it uh. You know, Donald Donald Trump has a lot of yes people in his corner because they're just afraid of him. Right. No one wants to stand up to him. And uh, it's the same thing with, when you get to, you know, when you get to artists, artists at a certain level that are making a certain amount of money, you're getting 20 percent of a Kodak Black show, you know, that it, you know, five, six, seven thousand in your pocket as a manager, you know. Yeah, let them fuck up on social media. You don't you don't want to go. You don't want to risk that seven grand a show. Right. Um it's, it, it, and then, by the way, this has absolutely nothing to do with Gucci, Gucci at, right. at, at all. No, we're just hypothetically just, speaking about what's going yeah, on, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is just, and, and it does not even really what, what's going on with Kodak Black. It's just it, Kodak Black. It's just a just a, a management uh, and, and it, artist situation. Period. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, look, dude, um, can you can we can we can we agree to something right now? Can we agree that we'll have a round two because there's another part of your life I really want to get into, but for this episode, I wanted to stick to your your music knowledge your knowledge of the industry but i gotta i gotta get you back on and i think i'm gonna come to miami i want to actually sit with you and and we have drinks because i think that that next space that the space that you're moving into now with the digital currency and that sort of thing can we agree that we'll have a part two to this episode yeah i hope that part one doesn't bore the shit out of your listeners let me tell you Uh, something right now I don't I don't think so. I, and the, the feedback the, the see, and the thing about that is I'm a fan of this. That's what that's uh, I wouldn't do a podcast for a long time. Just just being transparent. This matters to me so much because, for one, I think the South really has so much to say, you know, and I'm like you. I'm a transplant down here. We've both gotten money down here. But at the same time, I don't want to do any episodes that I don't learn something from. And as much as I know you, as much as as close as you and I are, I still feel like every time I talk to you, I learn something. And this time was nothing different, man. So I don't I don't I don't know. Like I will we'll get the listeners feedback because we're going to we'll be on the outside looking in. But I think that I think we all learn something here, man. And, and I appreciate you being here. How can they find you online? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm not I don't want anyone to think I'm a lawyer. I'm not. I've just done. <laughs> I've done thousands of contracts. Um, I'm not a financial planner, so nothing that I say should be construed as financial or legal advice. Um, but I do answer questions openly on my social media channels, um, specifically related to the music business, because that's what I'm known for. Um, but if they have 
I don't want to say financial or real estate questions, although I am a realtor, they can ask me that too. But if you have anything, if you're an artist or a producer or you're an aspiring music executive or label owner and you want to understand, you don't have the money to pay a lawyer um, and you want to, uh, and you want like, you want to know the real shit from hopefully a layman's perspective, which I am still a layman um, with a little bit of history in the game. You can reach me at Eric Answerman um, on Instagram. I That's Eric I with a, a K too though. That's Eric with yeah, a K. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Eric with a K. Answer Man is spelled phonetically correct, so A N S W E R M A N. Um, I have some bot on my Twitter, like some virus, so like I don't go on my Twitter anymore. The best place to get me is Eric Answer Man on Instagram. Um, and if your listeners, I have an application that's won a lot of awards. It's called Creator App. Um, that's C R E eight, the number eight T O R. It's on iOS and Android platform. Um, we won TechCrunch Disrupt. Um, advisors for, for me include, uh, will I am, uh, Pitbull, uh, Timberland, Timberland's, um, uh, ex-wife for, or, uh, also invested into our company. Um, all of the major record labels and music publishers have a vested interest in what we're doing on the technology side. It's uh, creator app is basically a mobile recording studio in your pocket. We let anyone anywhere in the world create original content with award-winning music producers on their phone. So if you're familiar with like musically and TikTok and these karaoke and, and, you know, uh, lip syncing applications, we're an original music platform. All of the major labels and publishers are looking for talent on our platform. So if you have what it takes, and you can't afford to get into a studio or you don't know how to use Pro Tools or you don't know how to meet Will I Am, or you can't afford to get in the studio with Timberland, <laughs> right. which, which I can't, um, download Creator App, create original videos and music, share it with your friends, uh, DM me, hit me up, and um, yeah, love to see what you guys are creating. And if you have any questions on the music side, uh, I'm really uh, accessible on social media and I'll answer whatever they have to, uh, whatever, they, whatever I can answer, I'll answer. But we can agree though, within the next... Three weeks. I'll come to Miami. We fin- We do. We we sit down and we talk about Creator App. You, I, because I, I want to see it up close. I want you to show it to me up close and, and some of the things, some of the other things you're working on. But I want to come. I want to come to your space down yeah. south, and you bring the cameras and we get inside yeah, your yeah. space and you know we do that. But within the next three yeah. weeks, we make yeah. that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were supposed to link up recently, right? But you were uh, running around with uh, Cool and Dre and. <laughs> And and, uh, and Cal and Flo Rider and Rick Ross and uh, I think Jay Z I think Jay Z came down to meet Oh, is you. that what it was? I, I said, yo, Jay Z came down to meet Eakin. Now wonder he can't come. So this is crazy. Is that, uh, but yeah, of course, man. You know I'm here. No, I definitely want to, man. Like I said, you, you know what's crazy is I got to come to Tampa, bro. I haven't been to Tampa in six months. I used to go to Ebor City like every two weeks, looking for talent, going to the clubs, hanging out with the DJs, and I haven't done that. In, in, in so long and I really got to come I got to come up to Tampa and I don't even need a reason to come to Tampa I just got to come to Tampa are you saying you're uh, still looking for talent are you saying you're still looking for talent you know you know what I'm <laughs> uh, you're gonna get me on this. You, know, you know what you know what I'm uh, first of all I'm always looking for talent right uh, I'm, I'm really looking for artists that also write and produce their own music um, not to extend this pod- podcast but uh, again if I'm extending my relationships out there if you're an, if you're like a Kanye or an Akon or a T Pain, right. um, really really come hit me up because there's different revenue streams that are involved. So you like your artist career may end, but you can always produce. Right. No, you may not be able to do shows, but you could. You, you may not be a good live performer, but you can always produce or make money. Um, 
and, and, and vice versa. And if you have the mentality of a Nipsey hustle, a business mentality of a Nipsey hustle, and, and you know how to write and produce your own music, yeah, I'm looking for you. 100% I'm looking for you. Absolutely. Don't come with no ignorant bullshit. Uh, but yeah, um, but, but, if, but if you're, if you're like Monty Lippman, not to Monty Lippman from universal called me where he and I, I don't want to say he called me, uh, cause I called him Monty from universal, the guy who signed two pistols, he and I spoke the other day. He's like, Eric, when you have something, bring it to me. Right. You know, so it's like, uh, again, I'm not trying to overreach, overreach out there, but, it, but, but I'm not, I'm not going to just bring anything to Monty, you know, but I'm so saying though. I think I, I I think I can work Fruity Loops and I smoke weed and be on my live like two times a day. So I think I think I'm coming down to the sign my deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. But do you own property? Do you have a trust? Fund I do own up? some property and I got a small trust fund that I'm trying to stay out of. But it's not really big. But I think what really attracts people to me is that I go live twice a day and I smoke on I smoke on live. That that. Yeah, well, there's, there's other there's other there's other artists out there that have done less. And, and somehow have a top 10 record on radio. So, yo, man, as always, my man, Eric Mendelson, yo, um, seriously, within the next three weeks, that's locking in. I want to come down. I want to talk to you more about the apps you're working on. I want to talk more about the digital space. So we'll just call this part one of my of my time with you, because I know we've been talking about being in the same room. And I do want to get the cameras there because there's so many things you got going on that I want that I want to show you. And then, of course, you know, got some other business to talk about, too. But we'll keep that off the camera. But as always, I appreciate you, man. And I appreciate you getting up this morning. We knocked this out at 10 o'clock in the a.m., man. So I, I appreciate you. That's another sign of a great businessman, too, because no matter how much you got going on, you do communicate and whether we have to push things back for whatever reason or we move things up. I think communication is another big thing that people should get out of this, out of this conversation, man, in this business. If you, if you're, if you're, my parents said this to me, both of them unfortunately passed away, but whatever, whatever it is in life that you, you know, you, your audience decides to do, whether it's pursue something in music or, 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 or become a franchisee for, for Taco Bell or, or, or what have you, make sure you're the first one there in the morning, make sure that you're learning from other people, stay open-minded, surround yourself around positive people who give you positive energy. Do you know that, you know, that stress is killing more people now than it's like some crazy statistic, like stress is killing way more people now than, I don't want to say heart attacks, but there's some crazy statistic out there. So like, yo, I don't want to say like live a stress-free life because a little bit of stress is actually good, but yo, surround yourself around po- – I, I, I could beat this in people's heads and surround yourself around positive people. Be the first one up in the morning. Wake up. Even if you work for yourself, get up in the morning like you're – like like you got a, like you got a job to do and uh, pr- pursue stuff that you're passionate in and, and uh, read. Read a lot, man. Read a lot. Read a lot of stuff that you're not comfortable reading about. Right. And, and it, it's easy to read about stuff that you enjoy doing. Um, but read about stuff that maybe you don't understand. Try to get someone else's um, pers- perspective on the world, and uh, you'll become a, be- a better person and a better business person. Uh, I think our president should probably read a little bit more. And, 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 yeah. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> yeah. Yo, man, once again, my man, Eric Mendelson. One more time, the Instagram, man. Eric Answerman, E R I K A N S W E R M A N. Um, that's my uh, Instagram name. Yo, hit him up with questions, man. He's got it. Once again, man, I appreciate you. I'm going to shut it down right now, man. The, this this episode of Southern Hospitality is special because this dude is family, man. And I, I appreciate you. And, and you really do help hold the mantra that the, uh, the South's got something to say. A whole lot, as a matter of fact, man. We gone. I appreciate y'all. This is an Ian Beckles Flavor In Your Ear Quick Fix on Radio Influence.
they actually had a big old opioid bust in eight states. I just saw it in the news this morning. Um, it was Alabama, Tennessee, West Virginia, Louisiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. Uh, 60 people were in this bust, largest bust ever. Um, and I guess they were comp- confiscating uh, 350,000 prescriptions, uh, 32 million pills. I mean, like they were just going to pill mills and just wrecking shop. And when you hear some of the stories of what was happening, and we all know about our opioid epidemic, but, you know, we know of some doctors that overprescribe. Like I've been, I've had situations before the doctor says, you want some oxycodone? And I'm like, nah, I'm good. You sure? Like, you don't need it, okay? It's not good for you to know that. You know, that that's bad enough. But when you hear of doctors, you know, switching sex for for pills, having prescription pads at the front desk that are already signed. Well, I can't believe that's still happening in 2019. I I, I don't, that's that's crazy. You can find Ian Beckles' Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.